And welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, the podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quiltverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Melissa of Quilt All the Things. Hey. Now, before we jump into all our quilty fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Melissa? Yeah, so my name is Melissa DeLeon Mason. I've been quilting for about 15 years or so, and I grew up in South Texas. I've lived kind of all over the place, but right now I am in Logan, Utah, where I live with my husband and four kids, and I'm currently in graduate school for social work. Very cool. Um, so what's the story behind your Instagram handle, Quilt All The Things? Yeah, so I tend to go through these like waves of creative madness. And so when I do, I kind of want to do a million things. So when I was thinking about a handle, I just had that Ali Brosh, you know, comic book character with a, her hands over her head yelling, all the things. And that kind of like <laughs> seemed to fit. So I went with Quilt All The Things. There is an underscore at the end because I'm an Instagram. Instagram idiot. And so when I got the handle, the normal one without the underscore, I accidentally deleted my account um, a few <gasps> minutes later. Oh, no. Yeah, and I couldn't get back into it. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do quilt all the things with the underscore. That's close enough, right? So yeah. Wait, so how long did you have that account without without the, the underscore? About for? three minutes. Okay, that's not too bad then. I thought it was like you had deleted your account no. that you had for like so you a weren't couple attached of months. To it. I was not. Yeah. No, but then I was so mad okay. because, you know, it was just like perfect without the underscore. And then, yeah, anyways, it was a good lesson. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've read that you began your quilting journey while living in Cairo. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about how your quilting journey began? Yeah, yeah, I guess it's not the typical quilting journey, right? Starting in Egypt. Um, it was actually shortly after my husband and I got married. He's a professor and his first job was at a university in Cairo. And, you know, we we're like poor, fresh out of grad school. We we're like, sure, why not? So we ended up living in Cairo for a few years and it was the most amazing and chaotic place. Um, we loved it. Um, but I spent most of my time exploring um, while he was teaching. And so um, I love to check out all the different markets there. And one of them was the fabric market that some friends took me to one day. And it is the most incredible fabric topia you could have ever imagine. It was like these streets with like floor to ceiling bolts of fabric, um, every color on earth, a million prints. And it was wonderful because you would go and like pick something that was high up and the stall owner would like be climbing up bolts of fabric to pull something down for you. It was amazing. Uh, so I started my fabric addiction before I even knew like how to sew or do anything with it. So I was bringing back all of this fabric to our flat constantly. And my husband's like, mm, what are we going to do about this? <laughs> so um, I was like, I don't know, it's just pretty. So he went back to the US for a conference and bought me a sewing machine. I think it was like a brother that he picked up at Target or somewhere and brought it back in his carry on and was like, here, <laughs> figure out something because, you know, there's too much fabric and not enough living space. And so I just kind of frantically started 
uh, YouTubing and Googling how to sew things. And um, at the same time, I was pregnant with our first child. So I was nesting. <laughs> and so I just like, I needed to make things. And so I made the most hideous, poorly constructed uh, nursery things for our son's room. Um, it was awful. None of it has survived. L luckily, none of it like killed him because I'm sure it was all just like safety hazard. I didn't know where to find batting for a quilt. So I used towels. <laughs> now that I say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Um, I didn't know But it must have doing. had great weight. It must have been like a Maybe, weighted blanket. I don't even remember like what the outcome was, except there was always like seams that were coming undone and like towel peeking out of it. So, so yeah, the really hideous stuff that thankfully has been lost to history, but that's how I got started. Eventually I got better. <laughs> Had you had you grown up sewing? Like, what kind of attracted you about fabric, or was this just like like a? It was just how switch? pretty it was. Yeah, no, I didn't grow up sewing. My mom didn't sew. Um, my grandma did, so she was always. I had quilts um, from her when I was little, and um, and she made them for all my kids later on. But she never taught me. Um, I never really. You know, one of my earliest memories is it's so similar to what I've heard from other people, like lying on the floor and, you know, looking up as like your grandmother and her friends were like sewing quilts above your head. Right. As they would as they would kind of quilt them together. So I remember that, but I never learned it. Um, yeah, it was just I've always loved art. I've always loved creativity and color. And so I think that's what it was about the fabric. And and the, it just like. I'm one of those people that I go into store and I have to touch everything. <laughs> so that's the kind of people that like store owners hate. And so, yeah, just um, just having this beautiful fabric. Um, yeah, I didn't know what to do with it or why I wanted it. I just wanted it. <laughs> so going from that very first baby quilt that you created, you know, you originally started a business in designing custom nursery quilts and bedding. Mm -hmm. um, is that sort of aspect of your quilting uh, still going? And could you tell us about that evolution um, from, you know, into modern designs and techniques? Yeah. So, so that was kind of the first thing I did once I stopped making really ugly things and started like getting to know what I was doing. Um, we moved back after being in Cairo for a few years, we moved back, we lived in California and, um, and I was just kind of at this, uh, at this point where I was making a lot of stuff, my friends were having babies. So I was making quilts for them. And I thought, well, you know, like we often do, um, which I don't think we should, <laughs> I thought, well, I should probably monetize this hobby of mine. And so this was in the early days of Etsy and, there were not very many people doing custom nursery bedding there. And then, you know, about a year later, it became intensely saturated. Um, but I got in at that sweet spot where nobody was really doing it. And so it was really fun for me because it meant I was really keeping up to date on fabric and fabric designers. I always wanted to have kind of the latest, best options for my clients. And and it was, a, it was really fun for a while. Um, but as I kept doing it and kind of honing my skills, I started branching out in my spare time, working on my own designs. And 
And once I started exploring that, then the repetitiveness of making nursery bedding got really boring and tedious. Um, and and no offense to pregnant women, like I've been one multiple times, but <laughs> they're not the most fun clients to work with. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they would often contact me when they were nesting and kind of frantic and wanted things, you know, in a very certain way and immediately. And so... So it was nice for me to say like, okay, this was fun for a while and, you know, and a blast, but now I'm kind of doing my own thing. And so that kind of, I decided to leave that behind and start exploring my own aesthetic and, and playing with stuff. So, and it was about that time too, that, um, I read, so I was in California and I read an article in the LA times about this quilt convention that had been going on. And um, QuiltCon, of course, and they had pictures of some of the quilts. And it was, um, they were talking about some of the quilts speaking on gun violence and and then also some modern techniques. And it blew my mind looking at this because I didn't know quilting could be like this. First of all, kind of the aesthetics um, that were being used, um, but then also quilts with messages. I mean, using them to tell stories. Uh, it was kind of, it was an eye opener for me. And I read that and then it, it just, uh, it kind of blew my mind. And then not too long after that, actually, I saw a notice um, that Latifa Safir was going to be lecturing at a local museum. And I thought, oh, I should go check this out. So I just kind of showed up some like rando. Um, I think it was a modern quilt guild chapter that was like hosting her. I can't remember. But I listened to her lecture and she showed her quilts. And it just I felt like that just unlocked something for me, like almost like permission to um, to quilt without restraint, you know, to really think about my vision and what I wanted to do. So that was kind of the evolution um, that all happened very uh kind of suddenly there at the end. And then at that point, it was just like fabric explosion and quilting all the time, all the things. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I got to where I am. I've been doing that ever since. So, so yeah. Talking about aesthetics, you're, um, you're a self-described maximalist. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us how you bring color and movement into your quilting? Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely in design and in my quilts, I really subscribe to more is more. Um, I love um, I love chaos. I love color. Um, and so my palette is pretty much everything. <laughs> I love the most saturated colors. Um, I like to do things that just kind of make people's eyes dance around um, and not stop. Um, I know in art and design, you know, there's this concept um, and in composition of letting the eye rest. And I kind of refuse to do that. <laughs> I like, I like the idea of like forcing somebody to follow new paths and new lines and discover new things. Um, I want them to be, you know, standing in front of my quilts for quite a while, um, just kind of interacting with them. So yeah, so that's, um, and I think I do that with, with the colors I use, but also with the lines and the curves that I tend to enjoy using. You've said you also like to bring confusion into your designs. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so confusion, I guess maybe a better word I should use is chaos. <laughs> um, because it is that it is that sense of like um wanting people to look and think that they're looking at one thing, but then like following a line or a color and and realizing there's something else there altogether. Um, thinking that they're appreciating the design when it's really like, 
you know, the color is going to surprise them um, or something about about the way I've designed it. Um, so, yeah, I just I don't like to be kind of one flat thing. Um, I just I like there to be kind of lots of different layers um, in in the design and color that I use, if that makes any sense. I don't know if it does. So maybe confusion is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> do you have do you have any um, like design training or is this just something that you've developed over the years? Um, yeah, no formal training whatsoever. Definitely developed it. You know, I took art courses in college. Um, it's always been an interest of mine. You know, my first job in high school was working at um, one of those paint your own pottery studios, um, which this is so you much know, fun. <laughs> a very, it was, it was a blast, you know, and that wasn't really, you know, a very artistic endeavor, but that's where I really started learning about color um, and mixing color and playing with color. Um, and so it's always kind of been a part of me and I've just always loved and appreciated art. Um, it's just kind of always been there. Um, so you're inspired by traditional Islamic art and modern architecture, as well as by the colors and experiences of growing up Latina in the borderlands. Um, what are some go-to places for gathering inspiration? So, yeah, um, I feel like for me, I draw on memories of things that I've seen and experienced. So that's kind of where I get my own. But I always love to point people to um, good places to look. So, so I mean, first of all, in terms of memories and stories, you know, I do this lecture for guilds sometimes uh, called Quilt Your Story. And it's about diving in to the things that have influenced you and then finding motifs and colors and things out of that. Um, so I always encourage that. Um but um, but there's lots of other places, both in like <laughs> real life and also online. So I'm really lucky that we're always around colleges just because of Patrick's job. Um, so I like to take courses um, or go to local art shows or things like that. And I just encourage people to look around their communities and see what's going on. Um, but then there's some really good places online, like on Instagram, there's the art of Islamic pattern, um, which I know a lot of quilters follow. I love these places that tell the authentic stories um, of what they're doing. And um, I'm all about appreciating culture, um, not appropriating it, but learning from it and and kind of seeing what that sparks in you. Um, so I always encourage people to try stuff out like that. For me, um, again, it's a lot of my own memory. So it's a lot of um, kind of the saturated colors, the pinks of Bougainvilleas, the the memory of looking down at the Foflorico skirts that I used to dance in when I was a kid or the pottery or things like that. Um, but I also, whenever I'm at like thrift bookshops, which are like my favorite places on earth, um, I always look because there are usually kind of really fantastic art or coffee table books um, that are specific to a certain style or region. And so I have like this collection, it's up on a shelf behind me, but I have this collection of books on Mexican art and pottery and color and things like that. And so sometimes I'll dive into those things to kind of solidify my own design ideas. So speaking, you mentioned that you um, often give lectures about your people capturing and revisiting their own journey. You're teaching this year at QuiltCon. Uh, can you share what courses you have planned? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to be teaching again. I love teaching at QuiltCon. Last year was my first year doing it and it was a blast. Um, I just love being around other modern quilters. And it's really fun to teach. I love to teach. It's one of my favorite things on earth. Um, and so this year I'm going to be teaching a course on color mastery, which is um, similar to one that I taught last year at QuiltCon that was just so much fun. And I got so much good feedback about it. Um, 
what I really love about color, well, I love a million things about color, but something I love about teaching it is people often seem to think that they either understand color or they don't. Um, and I really believe that there's a way to retrain your brain when the way you think about color to become one of those people who has like an instinct um, to put together a palette or do what I call the perfect fabric pull. Um, so I'm teaching a class on that. And, and that's just like really fun because I've taught it several times before. And I always hear back from students like a few weeks or months afterwards, and they've gone into a quilt shop and they just knew what to do. They just knew what was going to work together. And they're so excited. And that just, I mean, it's just like the happiest thing for me. So I'm teaching that. I'm also teaching another class I am so excited about called Foundation Paper Piecing Design, um, because I know so many people want to learn how to make the patterns, but there are these barriers because there's like this spatial language and vocabulary that's really hard to kind of um, overcome and understand how to put together a pattern. And so I want people to be able to do that for themselves, to be able to see a picture or an image and want to make a pattern out of it. And I want to say, here, here's how you do it. Yeah, you can do it, too. You know, so I'm really excited about that. I've taught it for guilds um, a few times, and I'm just like the results have been really, um, really cool to see how people are able to all of a sudden kind of get it um, and start speaking the language and, and get really excited about what they can do with it. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also giving a lecture um, called Inclusive by Design. Um, I've always been really invested in making sure this community that we're a part of is diverse and inclusive and equitable and just. Um, and so, and I've lectured a little bit on it before. Um, so this year I want to... Um, kind of explore um, all the different aspects of modern quilting, whether that be um, participation or design, organization, the manufacturers or industries that we engage with, and really think about how we can shape this organism, this modern quilting world that we're a part of, um, to meet the goals that we want it to meet. Because I believe we can. We're so um, we're so young and nascent in our movement, and we're all a part of it. It's not this top down thing. And so I think we can really um, create something amazing. So it's going to be. I think less of a lecture, more of like a, a group dreaming session. Um, I call it a radical reimagining. And so I'm excited to see where that goes and how it goes. So, and if anyone out there has ideas that they would like to see in the quilt community about how to make it um, these amazing things that we want, um, please contact me. I would love to hear ideas or incorporate your thoughts. So please do that. So you've taught at QuiltCon before, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, um, you know, you're going into your second year and I'm sure many of our listeners, um, you know, have quilt, like, you know, teaching at QuiltCon or lecturing at QuiltCon or any sort of other types of events or classes in general as their New Year's goal. Do you have any advice for our listeners that are thinking of teaching, especially for those that have never taught before? Yeah. Okay. So I hope that, um, well, I hope I can be helpful because I really want anyone who wants to teach to try it out. <laughs> I, I mean, I just think, um, it's so exciting when we get new voices and see new faces. And so, um, like, what do you have to lose, right? Put together a proposal and submit it to QuiltCon. Um, give it a shot. Um, if you're nervous, start by teaching at your local guild. Um, the thing is, you know, it's, it's hard to take that step because, 
we all do a lot of the same things, right? There's not this infinite um, amount of techniques or skills. Um, and so, so it can be hard to think like, I'm the person to teach that, you know, <laughs> like um, that goes against our instincts. Um, but if you have something that you love, that you're passionate about, um, then the students you teach are going to have a whole new experience learning from you than they would someone else. So you don't necessarily have to think like, I am the best person on earth to teach improv, uh, which I am not. I am horrible at improv and it terrifies me. Um, but, but, you know, if that's your jam, if, you know, you are passionate about it, um, your students are going to have a different experience learning it from you than they're going to do have learning from someone else who teaches improv. And so just keep that in mind. So choose something that you're passionate about, that you feel confident about. Um, and I know that imposter syndrome is real. Um, I fight it constantly. Um, but I also live by the mantra, fake it till you make it, you know, as cheesy as that sounds, it has guided my life. And I've had some incredible opportunities because I try not to um, hold myself back. Um, so yeah, so just like we talked about, you know, like this modern quilting ecosystem or organism is, um, it's all of us. Every one of us are a part of it. And how boring would it be if we always had the same teachers and the same faces? You know, we want to learn new stuff and from new people and new voices. So so be a part of that. Um, decide what you want to contribute and make it happen. And, and I've mentored quilters before um, with teaching or with pattern design or things like that. And so if you're thinking about it or have any questions, reach out to me. I would be happy um, to walk people through this process um, and, and just kind of, I'm all about like taking down the barriers um, and letting us all have the chance to try what we want to try. So go for it. So prior to teaching a class or a lecture, like, do you ever get nervous? And if so, like, how do you overcome those nerves? Um, I get a little nervous, mostly like I'll have a few minutes before where I'm like, you know, my stomach's like feeling funny and I'm like, should I be doing this? And I don't know what I'm doing and people are going to hate me. <laughs> um, and so I have a few moments <laughs> once I get into it, like I usually do like some deep breathing. Um, so right now I'm doing a clinical practicum as a therapist at a local high school and I've been teaching my students like these breathing techniques. And so I've been trying to use them myself when I get nervous, like practice what I preach. Right. But yeah. once I get into teaching, once it gets started, then I feel very comfortable. I feel like teaching is just like, you know, we all have our things that, you know, I think we're gifted at. And I know this doesn't sound very humble, but I feel like teaching is a gift that I have. And so like, once I get started, it feels very natural to me. Um, and so, and then I really start to enjoy it. So I always, always, you know, in that beginning part, when I want to like throw up on my students, I always just like, remember like in a few minutes, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and yeah, I've never and thrown up on a student. So that's good. <laughs> so the track record, you know, so far, so far, we'll see. I'll let you know if it changes. Uh, Somebody will document it on video, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I mean, especially these days with like Zoom classes and uh -huh. everything, like <laughs> all phones. Oh my God, that would terrify me. <laughs> yeah. So if you see students like run out of a classroom screaming at Quilt Con, <laughs> okay, that's what happens. You're also the co-founder of a nonprofit that helps uh, locally resettled refugees thrive. Can you tell us more about this um, project? Yeah, this is definitely one of the coolest things I've ever been involved in. Um, and it was back when I was living in California a few years ago. It was um, 
At the height of the refugee influx, um, when the Syrian civil war um, started, and before the ban was enacted, and we were still taking you know refugees at that point, um, and it's interesting. Um, so the little town we were living in, um, a place called Claremont, um, had welcomed a few families, or we had heard about a few families that had been resettled there. And we knew people who were kind of helping out with donations, um, food, things like that. And this was just a playground conversation, actually, between a bunch of stay-at-home moms. I hadn't really done, um, been doing anything um, professionally for a few years, um, except raising my kids. And so literally dropping our kids off and having a discussion at the playground, like, did you hear about this? Yeah, you know, we should help out. What can we do? Led us to like standing there Googling and finding out that when refugees are resettled, um, they work with international agencies that basically after 90 days and services which is not a lot of time when you think about moving to a completely new place, um, not understanding, um, navigating the system, um, not speaking the language often. Um, and so a lot of refugees would be resettled and then kind of flounder a little bit. And that just didn't seem okay. Um, so what we decided to do is put together an organization um, that became a nonprofit where we would uh, work with these international resettlement agencies, um, overlapping services um, kind of towards the end of those 90 days and then taking over. Um, and what we would do is build relationships with the people and families that were resettled um, and then connect them uh, with community resources. So we would um, connect with mental health services, continuing education, language programs, employment shadowing, things like that, so that um, they had kind of, once the triage phase was over, then they had uh, connections um, in the community and were able to kind of continue on that progression to becoming resettled and kind of thriving. Um, and we had great success. We made the most amazing friends. It's still going on. I say it as if it's a past tense thing. Um, but uh, but when I moved away from Claremont three years ago, I stepped back from it. So now I just kind of watch from a distance. And it's been amazing because uh, over the last six months or so, the first families that we started serving have been getting their citizenship. And so it's just the most amazing thing to check in um, on our group's Instagram account and see, you know, these people that, first of all, we had no idea what we were doing. We're just like scrapping it together, you know, and, and helping them out. And we built these like incredible relationships and, and they're citizens. And it's just, it's the most amazing thing. So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was incredible. It was fun to do it with friends um, and also to do something that we, again, fake it till you make it right. We had never, we didn't know anything about refugees, about working with international agencies, about setting up a nonprofit. We just like, we just managed, we scrapped it together and, and, uh, and did something really great. It was cool. I don't know if I have missed it, but what was the name of the organization and what, a, what could we do? What could our listeners do to help? Yeah. So the organization is Claremont Canopy. Um, the website is claremontcanopy.org. And, um, if you want to help that specific um, group, um, donations are the best way. Um, but um, I would recommend that you look into your local um, organizations because um, things like this kind of cropped up in a lot of places. Um, and there's a lot of great things um, that you can be doing. If you don't have anyone locally, um, then Claremont Canopy, of course, we would welcome your help. Um, or I always like to refer people to Miri's List, M-I-R-Y. 
apostrophe S list. And that is an organization we partnered with in Los Angeles. Um, and around that same time that we got started, uh, Mary Whitehill started basically Amazon lists for all of the refugee groups that were coming in to the LA area. And so this is great because anyone from anywhere can go clear their Amazon list or purchase something and it gets sent um, directly to that family um, for their use. And that's been, a, I mean, it's just been a huge benefit and a help. So, so I would say look locally, um, see if there's an organization that you can help out or get involved in. It's just really rewarding, wonderful volunteer stuff to do. But, um, but Claremont Canopy or Mary's List are great places to go. So on that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Melissa? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, okay. Wendy, take us away. <laughs> cool. So what's your favorite time of day to quilt? Um, evenings are when I quilt because that's when everything has calmed down around our house of chaos. But if I could choose, I would love to have mornings free to quilt. And where do you sew? Um, in our guest room turned studio, um, mostly studio. There's a guest bed here, but you'd have to find it. <laughs> and do you wear shoes while you're sewing? And if so, do you wear socks and no socks? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm, I'm barefoot all the way, which means I constantly step on pins, but barefoot. Uh, music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence while sewing? I always have Netflix on, always shows going. And do you have a current favorite that you're watching at the moment? Um, I know I'm like a decade or two late to the game, but right now I'm watching Homeland and really enjoying that. Or any like any like British limited series drama, especially if it has David Tennant in it, like bonus points. I'm all about that. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite traditional block? Uh, Drunkard's Path. I love curves. And what's your favorite color? Uh, purple. And do you have a favorite brand of solids? I use Kona. And my favorite Kona color is papaya. I have tons of papaya. Solids or print fabrics? Definitely solids. Do you have a favorite fabric designer? I do. I love anything Rashida Coleman-Hale does. And what's the last fabric you bought? Um, I bought a ton of brushed in Peacock by Sarah Watts. It's so pretty. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's so pretty. Uh, what's your favorite quilt shop? So just over the border from us on um, the Idaho side of the Idaho-Utah border, there's this tiny town called Preston. It's where the movie Napoleon Dynamite was set. And there is the <laughs> best modern quilt shop there probably that I've ever been to. It's called Suppose. And it's tiny, but it's wonderful. I absolutely love it. Suppose Quilt Shop in Preston. And which of the three classes that you're teaching at QuiltCon 2023 you're looking forward to the most? FPP Design. I'm excited to see how people kind of take it. What sewing notion couldn't you live without? Fabric glue pen. I use it for everything. Do you have a specific brand? No, I don't. Although I learned from Jen Carlton Bailey of Betty Crocker asked that the um, highlighter yellow glue refills are the best ones. So I literally have a drawer full of glue pen refills. Interesting. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. All right, pick one, foundation paper piecing, reverse applique, or sewing curves? Uh, FPP. So much possibility. Do you have a go-to long arm quilter? I don't. I do all my quilting myself. And, oh, I'm just going to, I'm curious. So uh, what's one quilting technique that you'd like to try out uh, in the new year? 
Um, I'm trying handwork. I'm really bad at it. I, like I said, I go fast and furious, so um, it's a challenge. But that's kind of my goal for this new year is to slow down, especially with schoolwork and stuff. I've got to kind of take a step and a breath. And so I'm really trying to do handwork, slow stitching. We'll see how it goes. And what is your favorite part of the quilting process? The design and the fabric pull. And what's your least favorite part? The quilting. Who is your quilty crush? Um, it is Hillary Goodwin from Entropy Always Wins. I just always love seeing what she's made, what she's wearing. She's just so interesting. So now before we wrap today up, we've got just a couple more questions for you. And first up are who are three accounts you think everyone should be following and why? Um, okay, so I love following Carolyn L. Maslumi, if you don't already. She's an incredible scholar and curator and art historian, and I just love everything she says and does. Um, also, Sashiko's story, um, which is, um, you know, like we talked about, I just love hearing the origins of a craft. And so that's two art artisans um, talking about Sashiko. And then um, I always um, like to see what Kristen Barris is up to. Um, B-A-R-R-U-S. So Kristen is a talented quilter, but she's also a PhD who studies quilting and uh, especially the modern quilting movement. Um, and so it's always interesting to see what she has to say or what she's working on. And before we sign off, do you have any fun projects on the horizon that you're able to share with our listeners? Um... I'm just excited to be teaching. I've got a lot of guild teaching coming up. And then for my own kind of personal work, um, like I said, I'm just kind of uh, playing with handwork. Right now I'm starting a project um, kind of based on the therapy that I've been doing with uh, high school students and working kind of on uh, small collage pieces um, based on that. So we'll see. That might start popping up on my Instagram soon. Um, depending how it goes. So we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can most easily be found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio. Wendy. I'm at the.weekendquilter. And Melissa. Quilts all the things, underscore. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website, quiltbuzzpodcast.com for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we hope that you subscribe to the show and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Bye.